It's just a few seconds before 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Boat Talk with your hosts Alan Sprague and Mike Joyce is up next. Good morning, good morning. It's uh, 10 o'clock on a Tuesday morning. Time for Boat Talk here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor. All around this great wet world at WERU.org. My coat might... Boat Talk is hosted by your rusty anchors, Mike Joyce and Alan Sprague. And today we have a guest, uh, an Englishman who likes sailing up north around in the cold waters up in the Arctic. And perhaps maybe someday he might even go down to Antarctic and become bipolar. Uh, our guest this morning is Mick O'Flanagan. And I, I didn't strictly warn, I, I started to warn you earlier, uh, Alan is the punny one. And, yep. and in our partnership here, Alan always starts with a pun. So you were the victim this morning, apparently. <laughs> Bipolar, that's good. That's quite good. Yeah. yeah, I don't mean to be offensive to anybody who really is. Yeah. I ran into uh, Mick on the dock down in Belfast. He uh, uh, wintered in Belfast this winter, and I believe you've wintered in Belfast before um, three times now. And the boat uh, caught my attention. It is a broad... Uh, traditional-looking uh, uh, gaff-headed, uh, 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 traditional-looking sea boat, and it is a, um, a gaff-headed catch, and it is also made out of cement, it turns out, which is slightly unusual, too, and we'll get to all that. Mick, uh, while you're around, we have uh, uh, a couple other little subjects to talk about. Uh, anything you feel like adding, uh, you know, you're just here, so. Uh, okay. Yep. Yeah. At any time. So what else are we thinking about this morning, Alan? Well, first, I, I think I need to, um, well, correct or at least update myself. Last month, I believe it was, I mentioned uh, the automated foghorns that you have to turn on and off yourself now, or on anyway. Uh, you were unaware of that, I guess. Um, yeah. Probably there's a lot of mariners on the coast of Maine who are unaware now that... Uh, but here is the information on how you can get some more details. There's uh, the Coast Guard's putting up what they call an MRAS system. Um, it's where the, you can turn on a f- 17 different fog foghorns at lighthouses in the coast of Maine now. Any one of those, as you're approaching within a mile or two, if you key your mic five times on channel 83A, mm. it'll turn on mm. the foghorn. All right. So if you want to, you know, if you're in the fog and you want to... Doable. We have a radio, generally, yeah. All right. Yep. Yeah, yeah. well, huh. The question is, yes, some really small boats, kayaks especially, don't carry radios, but... Um, It'll be on for up to 60 minutes, so if you happen to be sailing along and it turns off, that could be alarming, too. But anyway, that's uh, that's the system. To get more information on just where and what lights uh, or foghorns there are, you can go to a website. It's NNE, which stands for Northern New England Waterways, nnewaterways.uscg.mil, M-I-L. 
I like to maintain that it's a wonderful age to be a mariner because you pretty much always know where you are nowadays. you got the GPS that tells you yeah. right where you are, and uh, it's kind of a miracle. It, it, uh, I could uh, – uh, you feel pretty good most of the time with just a GPS, even in the fog, without a radar, for instance, uh, as long as you know where you are. But lighthouses, for instance, and fog signals are still useful. Uh, let alone the little buoys, you know, uh, uh, just because we know where we are and have that uh, floating video game uh, chart thing going there doesn't mean that all those, as many clues as possible uh, are valuable to a mariner. And the fog signal being automated, I understand partly why they're doing that. Partly they have sold off all, a lot of those lighthouses are all private now and people live in them. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the problems as a, a foreign flag vessel is that you may not have a radio with 83 alpha on right you, you know we don't have that in europe so we're coming up and we're not getting going to get any fog signals because we can't key in the requisite well first thing. you you have to somehow get the knowledge of, of even being able to do this absolutely which you, yeah. so, seems a bit short-sighted yeah there was a uh, piece in the bangor news a week or two ago people have bought a uh, shorefront house down in rockland it's part of the shore path more or less it has a uh, past deeded access and they're fighting the public uh walking in front of their house right in the middle of town there and they paid a lot of money for that and you would think they might have bought some privacy now if you object to pe people why would you buy a house in a public place if you had a problem with foghorns you shouldn't buy a lighthouse yeah that's part of the reason why they're doing <laughs> but that. if i lived in a lighthouse man i'd love it when that foghorn wasn't going uh you know some of them go and it's not even foggy of course and well Talk about uh, aids to navigation and having as many resources as possible. Remember about two years ago, we talked about a guy who left from Florida in one of those big inflatable balloons heading for Bermuda? I saw him on the news. Thank he, you very oh, okay. much. Yes. Know, yeah. he, he tried it again. Uh -huh. Is he, he just, dead yet? Uh, no. No. Has he, he been out, rescued yet? He was out for three days. The Coast Guard knew that he was out there. Um, it's called a hydropile, and... He tried first in 2014, and then... It's like a large tricycle, water-going tricycle. Would that be a good it's description? A, it's a big big ball that you walk inside of the oh, ball. That, oh, yes, yes, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, uh, yeah. Talk about windage. Windage, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, here's the other problem, Alan. I, I deliver boats, right? And uh, if we were in Florida and wanted to go to Bermuda... We would be kind of unhappy. We consider that a bad, uh, that would be uphill. Well, that's, he got what lost. What we would call uphill. He had no no means of navigation, I guess, and got lost in the Gulf Stream. <laughs> in a seagoing modern yacht from Florida to Bermuda is an uphill slog that's kind of a problem. You might actually want to go up to North Carolina and then go, I think about going up North Carolina and then going back across, sort of, you know, crossing yeah. down. <laughs> um, again, we'd call that uphill, so he's starting in a bad vessel with kind of a bad route, I would say. And he was specifically uh, notified by the Coast Guard, uh, had an order from the Coast Guard prohibiting him from embarking on the journey or he would face a large fine and a lengthy prison sentence. It just come to me, though, we celebrate dreamers on Boat Talk now, don't we? Well, I don't know if I want to dream about seven years in jail and $40,000. Uh, and, again, your dream can imperil other people or cause other people to have to come uh, save your ass. And, you know, uh, we, we draw the line there at practicality. Yes, we do. But uh, always another dreamer. Always another silly dreamer. What else we got this morning? Okay. Um, 
seeing as how our guest is English, we're going to talk about Rolls-Royce a little bit. They just had a, a, a big uh, news release, I guess we'll call it, talking about a land-based control center for the operation of aut- autonomous drone cargo ships. Yeah, I saw your eyebrows went up on that one. We're talking big ships. They're talking big ships. They're talking about having a small crew of 7 to 14 people, land-based, monitor and control a fleet of vessels all around the world using interactive smart screens, voice recognition systems, holograms, and surveillance drones to tell what's going on around the ship. You see the genius of this, don't you? Yeah, less people. They've got well, not just people. They've got sailors out of the equation. We all know yeah, sailors can be problematic, you know. And they've done without sail. You know, the the uh, desire to uh, uh, do without uh, real labor is is uh, you know universal. Yeah. And to avoid sailors to run ships, how happy would the ship owners be? Well, the design of the ship is quite a bit different too, because there's you know there's no uh, navigation towers or any sort of a windage there and i will never believe there will not be a time where the ship needs a person so no matter how well how are you going to get a pilot on board you know that's something they have and yeah it would be kind of freaky for the pilot now wouldn't it too yeah yeah nope don't approve of any of that speaking of uh cargo ships they've found the el faro and they found the uh data recorder yeah uh way way deep 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 and uh, they are going to try to retrieve it, which could be interesting. They're going to send, yeah. They didn't have the right equipment to be able to retrieve it at the time, so they're uh, in, know that know what the situation is. They're inventing what gear they need to go yeah. back and, and recover it. They will do that with um, uh, underwater submersible uh, robots that have like uh, crab picking arms and stuff, and and it's amazing what they can do. If you're interested in in uh, that sort of stuff, there is uh, one of the greatest books. Uh, it's called Ship of Gold in the Deep Blue Sea. Fellow salvaged the SS California. Yeah. Um, and all about the underwater, uh, like, say, ROV technology. Just uh, it's amazing what they can do. It really is. So um, could be interesting to find out, you know. Uh, That's one of Giffy's favorite books, too. He yeah. mentioned it a while ago. Oh, absolutely Ship wonderful. Gold. Ship yeah. of Gold in the, in the Deep Blue Sea. Absolutely wonderful stuff. Yeah. We about caught up? Uh, okay, well, we can keep going. We're going to have a phone call coming out in about five minutes. going to be talking about alewives and writing. Never thought about that, the connection between the two. Writing? Writing, yes, with the W. Uh, I can't yeah. wait to find out what, yeah. Yeah, but anyway, um, just came in yesterday a French cruise line, a French expedition cruise line called Ponant, P-O-N-A-N-T. They're installing four, on four of their new ships, underwater big underwater windows so you can sit down in the lounge and watch uh, what's going on underwater while you're having a drink they're sending these ships to uh they're polar certified being a polar sailor that these are polar certified so they can go up and uh, sail around in the icebergs i wonder how they get along with uh we're going to be talking about that We'll, we'll get to talking about that yeah um and they're also going to send one to Australia. First one's going to go to Australia uh, with the Great Barrier Reef. They can poke a hole in your big window, too. These these lounges could turn into a wet bar really mm-hmm. quickly. Had a cruise ship ram the dock in Baltimore uh, yesterday, I guess. So it was on the TV and, and uh, rammed a glass skywalk and, and brought it down. I believe there might have even been a motor, motor vehicle involved in the vessel crafts with the uh, cruise ship in the dock there. And, 
He just, uh, again, uh, uh, mass times uh, velocity, isn't it? The uh, physics equation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> mass times velocity. Uh, yeah. It might even be a squared in there yeah. somewhere, but it's physics. And, again, you don't want to be on the wrong side of that crunch. So Yeah. 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 A lot of mass there. So we're going to be opening up the phone lines uh, after we talk with uh, Mark Berry from the Scudic Institute. We have Mark on the line. He's going to talk about uh, the connection between ale lives and writing. Good morning, Mark. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. You have an interesting uh, workshop coming up that piqued my interest. Why don't you uh, talk about that? Thank you, and thanks for having me on today. So Scudic Institute is hosting uh, the evening of May 17th at 7 o'clock a panel discussion about alewives and called Stories from the Stream. And this is part of a longer series of events that the island readers and writers have put together with a number of partners uh, called Small Fish Big Impact. And we're very much looking forward to having four great speakers on that panel and hopefully a great opportunity for discussion with community and anyone who takes an interest in alewife and their importance to our streams, rivers, and our ocean. Why are they important, Mark? Mark, um, what is the importance of alewives? Oh, I think... Ooh. We'll hear different perspectives on our panelists, but one brief point is that alewives, which are also known as river herring, are an extremely important part of the food system in the Gulf of Maine for groundfish, such as cod, and also a really important part of bringing nutrients for other species, like our seabirds, eagles, ospreys, and potentially an important part of the ecology of our rivers for salmon and other diadromous fish as well. Alewives, I'm guessing, uh, took a big hit over the years, uh, especially as we dammed all those streams right close to the salt water. And uh, there has been an effort over the last uh, bunch of years to uh, bring them back. People truck them around dams, I know. And, and uh, again, part of the uh, ecological food pyramid. That's exactly right. And alewives, although they are so important and strong, they are not leapers like salmon are, and it doesn't take a huge barrier to prevent an alewife from getting upstream. But we will get some of those perspectives about restoration efforts. Uh, our panelists include uh, Ed Bassett from the Passamaquoddy Tribe, Dwayne Shaw from the Downey Salmon Federation, uh, Susan Shetterly uh, has been working on an alewife restoration project in the Blue Hill Peninsula area, and Nick Bennett from the Natural Resources Council of Maine. Mark, I'm not sure exactly what the Scudic Institute does. Can you tell us about it? Sure. So Scudic Institute is based in Acadia National Park. We're at the tip of Scudic Point in the town of Winter Harbor, and we are an education and research organization for a nonprofit that works really closely with the National Park Service. We're focused on making connections between science and education, and we have particular interest in the ecosystems and the information we need to know to sustain not only the resources of Acadia National Park, 
that the resources that our entire region depend on. Well, that sounds like a pretty good gig, and, and of course, uh, even on a bad day, you've got a hell of a nice office, don't you? <laughs> there are a few better places to go to work every day than Scudic Point. Nice. So, Mark, um, Alewives, they, just the name conjures up some uh, literary thoughts. Uh, probably one of the more uh, well-known fish, probably after sharks and whales, but... Um, the uh, the writers group um, are they preparing stuff beforehand for this, or is this going to be sort of a impromptu kind of thing? Well, uh, Island Readers and Writers is a group that helps with literacy and education throughout County Spain, uh, starting with island communities. And I would uh, certainly encourage them to have a chance to tell that story themselves. But they have done a really nice job of bringing authors together with young children and making reading an engaging experience and connecting it to stories that are relevant to Maine's communities. Very good. Contact information, uh, Mark? People could learn more about this workshop and everything else we're doing at Scudic Institute by going to scudicinstitute.org. The workshop is at 7 o'clock on May 17th, and we do have a dinner available before the workshop. Uh, that is at 5.30. If people wanted to come to dinner, they would need to register ahead of time. If they want to just show up for the workshop, uh, they can do that at 7 o'clock. We serve an alewife chowder, uh, smoked alewife uh, jerky. What do we got? We, we don't have alewives on the menu this time. I believe it's a pasta primavera and a shrimp dish. Oh, good enough. Yeah. We'll settle for that. Appreciate it, Mark. <laughs> Thank you very much, Mark. I, I expect we'll be talking with you again in the future. I look forward to that. Thanks again for having me on today. Very good. All right. We are doing boat talk this morning, and we talk about a lot of different stuff, but we have guests in the studio this morning, uh, Mick O'Flanagan from the uh, Gaff Cutter Hannah, and again, uh, docked for the winter down in Belfast, Maine, and we're going to talk about uh, going yep. north and Just, stuff. I, I have a, a request from a listener to repeat the website for the uh, the Foghorn, so I'll do that quickly before we... Before we sail on, the website for more information on the how to turn on the foghorns on the coast of Maine, you go to the website, which is NNE Waterways. It stands for Northern New England Waterways. NNEWaterways.uscg, United States Coast Guard, dot mil, M-I-L. That's the website. So let's, uh, let's get to the meat of the subject. Here. All right. And, again, we have... Uh Mick O'Flanagan uh, in this morning. Mick is a, uh, 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 like I say, I met him down on the dock in Belfast, and, and uh, his boat struck my eye immediately. It is a very traditional-looking um, uh, gaff cutter. Uh, I'm sorry, gaff um, catch. Uh, catch. And um, is... Uh, uh, not only painted yellow, has a uh, a bunch of baggy wrinkle up in the rigging, which is quite unusual. Uh, little pieces of line, 
made up as anti-chafe kind well, of stuff. Very, very scenic, very explain, uh, traditional. Explain what a baggy wrinkle is. No, yeah, it's no. it's a uh, old rope teased into a uh, a kind of a uh, a fender a, a bumper. Uh, uh, um, looks like a porcupine. <laughs> yeah, if uh, the uh, bow pudding you would see on a tugboat yeah. sort of thing. Uh, yeah, it's anti-chafe and it's very traditional. You don't see it very much, and it caught my eye immediately. So. Um, and again, uh, we're talking about a uh, boat that has a very traditional rig. Uh, did I hear Yo is on the phone? Yes. Speaking of another traditionalist, we do have Captain Yo on the line. So good morning, Ca- Captain Yo. Welcome to Boat Talk. Good morning. Thank you, boys. I am astounded at the complacency evident on this program <laughs> and the shift to automated systems for navigation. <laughs> Any mariner knows that as soon as one casts off, things will go wrong, out of reach of repair services. Electric and electronic devices are particularly prone to failure in the marine environment. Reliance on wireless technology impairs due diligence in piloting. Additionally, on-demand navigation signals effectively exclude smaller, less well-equipped traditional vessels from safety at sea. Thank you for putting on this program, and thank you to everyone for supporting Community Radio. Thank you, Captain Yo. Makes a uh, completely valid point. He owns yes. a traditional vessel. He can say that. Um, although, again, uh, my point, fairly tongue-in-cheek, I must say, as a professional mariner. I mean, I remember living delivering boats. Uh, I don't need a foghorn. I have an iPad. Right, yeah. With a uh, one thing, with the uh, iNav program, gives you every chart in the world, tells you where you are. It's fantastic. I mean, you know, and I would hate to tell you what we have navigated up and down the East Coast, not on an iPad, but on an iPhone. I okay, yeah, yes, we first. have, yes, we have, and uh, yeah, who needs foghorn? We need it, a foghorn. It's I, one, I one do step agree. Above the placement you get from the local restaurant. Yeah, like you say, what's next? Take the buoys out? I hardly think so. So, uh, yes, Foghorn Lighthouse's buoys were all in favor of uh, as many clues as possible. Thank you, Yo. Always has something to say. Now, back to Captain Mick. Um, Mick, I kind of warned you yesterday. I like to ask everybody uh, pretty much to call it the boat talk question, which is what happened to you when you was young messed you up about boats, you know? No, nothing. Did you grow up around boats? No. No, I mean I sailed uh, for a year or so as a young kid, but I, and then I sailed uh, as a soldier. I taught soldiers to sail, but um, that was in the kind of mid mid to late sixties. Part of England do you come from? Uh, I'm out of London originally. Yeah, and what kind of soldier were you, Mick? Um, one trying to get out. So uh, <laughs> I, I did five years and 101 days. Yeah, and then um, I, I left for greener pastures, and you went afloat sometime. Yeah, as a soldier, I taught other soldiers to sail. No, you said you were sail, did some sailing as a kid. That was an attempt as a dinghy, yeah, d- uh, dinghy sailor. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, it was on reservoirs mostly. Right. Yeah, that's what we did. So, having left the military, hmm. still young and uh, wide-eyed, and yeah, I stayed. I was out of sailing for a long time, and then. Um, uh, circumstances took me to the south coast of, of England, Southampton, and um, I ended up with a small gaff rig boat. And um, I was helping a guy do a delivery up to Gothenburg in Sweden. And um, it struck me that um, the guy was quite experienced, but he didn't actually know much more than 
I felt I did, particularly with GPS. And so I rang my wife and said, uh, you know, this might be a, a nice life for us. And um, she wasn't in. I left the message on the answer phone. I got, <laughs> I got home maybe 10 days later and found the house was on the market. Oh. And so um, within three months, we'd uh, sold the house, sold all our belongings, bought the boat. Uh, and that was nearly 16 years ago. I thought I thought she was nice even before I heard that story. I tried to get her to come over here today, and not a chance. Basically, no bloody way. No, no. not a chance. No. no, she doesn't do um, social engagements at all. And she was fond of you before the boat. I think that's mildly significant as well. Yeah, I mean we've been together a long time. Yeah, you know, despite our age difference, but um, you know, she, uh, without her, we we couldn't run the boat. It's very physical. It's a very physical boat. Right. It's a gaff catch. Um, it's heavy, all the gear's heavy, the sails are heavy, um, the spars are solid wood. No, so. le- no electric winches? No, <laughs> no. We have electric light, Yes, but, but that's about <laughs> it. No, ele- no refrigeration, no, no um, pressurised water. Yeah. It's, a, it's a very simple off-grid lifestyle. What kind of motor? Uh, now we have a Yanmar because, yeah. um, you know, I just kind of reached pension age and we finally got some money after all these years, and so um, we put a, a new engine in. A new engine, or is this the first one? Uh, no, no, it's um, it's all the boat's always had an engine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm not um, not skillful enough, I think, to be able to sail into some of the places. Brave, we go. I would call it. Yes. Well, you know, some of the some of the um, you know, if you're going up north, some of the the anchorages are quite tight, and yeah. there's a there's a lot of ice about usually. Yeah. Now the um, uh, gaff catch is called Hannah. Uh-huh. Uh, describe her provenance or uh, design. Uh, you know, uh, well, it's it's based it? on a uh, Colin Archer. Yep. Um, you know, which is a generic term, but um, it's thirty six foot long, full dr- keel. Yeah, se- draws seven feet. Yeah, um, thirteen foot wide. Uh, a thirty six foot modern fiberglass sailboat might be nine feet wide. Yeah, yeah, and probably weighs. It's quite broad. Half a ton. It's made oh, half, out. Half, half it's half made way. out of cement, Mick. Ferro cement. Ferro yeah. cement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I was down on the dock the other day. I wanted to uh, uh, get the attention of people downstairs there, so I I knocked on the hull, which you generally do, and and I thought nobody heard that. It was like knocking on a granite ledge. And then I knocked on the deck, and I I uh, bruised my finger, fingers, <laughs> fingers, and. Uh, uh, then I did some yelling and, and got your attention. It's a, a very solid boat. How is it built? Um, it, well, in, in the, the same way any ferro boat, boat is built, the framework is made from ferro cement rebar with, um, it's, I mean, I call it chicken wire. It isn't chicken wire, but there's a, a wire which is attached a with a mesh. Yeah. Uh, well, there's the rebar, uh, you know, as a kind of standard. And then um, it's um, just plastered. A team of plasters. In in those days, the plasters would work in one hit, and you'd plaster in and out uh, to try and avoid the avoid the voids. I'm sure you can make a pun out of that, Alan. <laughs> and, um, but um, yeah, and then it's cured for 28, 30 days. Was slowly. the boat professionally built, or yeah. the yeah. hull? The hull was the the boat was finished by 
the couple we bought her from. Yeah, because many ferro-cement boats actually were built professionally. A lot of them were built by amateurs. Oh, I, yeah. I've done a lot of uh, assistant surveying. I've looked at more than a couple of cement boats with the chicken wire coming mm. right out the sides. Mm. Mm. And, of course, the problem is that uh, salt will migrate into the cement. It rots the uh, the, the ferro part of the uh, ferro-cement boat, and, and then you've got nothing after mm. that. Mm. Um, how thick is Hannah? Um, it's it's not as thick as you're going to think. The, you know, the bottom of the keel is probably what's that, 16 inches yeah. you know, wide. Um, but the the hull itself is is kind of the width of my finger. So what's that, half inch or something? Yeah, three it's not, quarters. Yeah. yeah, it's not that. Not that uh, thick. And, when, and when I knocked on it the other day, like knocking on a door, I'm telling you, it was like knocking on a granite ledge yeah, was yeah. my impression. It doesn't yeah. need to be that thick because it's just weight. No, I'm yeah. interested in, in the plastering process. Let's get a little more detail into that. You have a, a one person on the inside, another person on the outside working in the same area at the same time to yeah. maintain thickness. That must be kind of uh, – you do it, the, the hull is upside down at this point, right, when it's being made. Um I don't think it was actually. I think it was the right way up, uh -huh. and and it's not it's not just to maintain the thickness. It's to ensure there are no voids sure, between they're, they're the two. Sure, they're pressing layers. against each yeah, other. Yeah, they have to work as yeah, a team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like most boat building, no matter what the material is, the longevity uh, and quality of the boats and the details, things that are well made age well. Um, things yeah, that aren't yeah. uh, don't. And again, some cement boats I've seen, but it's it's a perfectly valid way to build a boat. How old is Hannah? Um, it, the the hull was built in '89, so that, what, that's what 27. That's uh, years 27 old. years old. But, yeah. And we we've been into Anchorage, an Anchorage in Scotland, where there's a a ship because they used to make ferro ships um, that was beached in 1910, and it's still whole. There's a hole in the side where the fishermen there have kind of cut into it because they want to store their nets and pots and and so forth in it. This ship's about I don't know 120 foot. And it's just beached up on the harbour. Mm. But it, they last a long time. Yeah. You made another interesting point when I was speaking to you one time. Um, and you, again, like to go north. So you have a very traditional rig. And it's, uh, uh, again, um, uh, low-tech. And so is the boat. Now, you said uh, one of the advantages of cement is its repairability. Well, it it is very repairable. I mean, despite what you say about you know, the, the ferro rusting out. I mean, that obviously can happen, but it's not as common as people would think. And we've, uh, in our early days, we hit a a, um, a rock in France. And uh, because they have huge tides there, you know, 30 foot is pretty normal. We were able to go alongside onto a scrubbing hard and, and dry off and see the damage. So the damage on both sides of the keel, but right at the very bottom was... Uh, about a meter in just over three foot in length and probably about um i don't know eight to ten inches high and a couple of inches thick dirt deep and that was on both sides this is a gouge out basically. Uh, on both sides of the keel yeah okay. right down at the very bottom and so over those the next five days we washed it out with fresh water and the tide came in tide went out we washed it and then uh, put uh, fresh um quick drying cement in uh cleaned it up, painted it, and went on sailing. And three years later, we, when we got back to England, I decided I was going to clean it up and do it properly. I couldn't get it out. It <laughs> was just solid. Huh. 
So you just leave it. You know? It was yeah. done, done all in one tide. The, no, no, it's done over five days. We did it between did times. Little, little, you put in a little patch area, then you continue Well, we did the whole further. patch, uh, and then we turned the boat around, did the other side, and then uh, cleaned it up and painted it. Yeah. So it's... It, for us, it's a, you know, and we hit a, um, a kind of growler in, um, a growler's a kind of large, yeah. you know. We've talked bird, about growlers yeah. when we're talking about the Bowden. Yeah. yeah. And again, uh, let's say we're talking about hitting stuff. If you've only hit a rock in France and a growler, you are way above average, buddy. Well, um, we've, we've hit a couple of As one fellow says but... to me, you never hit anything. You know, I used to say, I've never hit it. I've never been anywhere, as fellow says. And, yeah. and again, uh, you sail in, in latitudes where there's a lot of stuff to hit uh, all unmarked. So, yes, uh, it's very important. Mm -hmm. And it's going to happen. So, so we hit a bergy bed, a little piece of ice. Uh, yeah, probably you know, a kind of size of a, I don't know, a, a big pickup or something. Yep. So I mean that's, uh, but you know, we, the, we didn't do any damage, and and we hit another one last year because um, we weren't paying attention essentially, and um, we we kind of we were going along at f four and a half knots or so, and we just rode up on top of this berg. A growly bit, and it came off to the side, and we saw all this blood on it that we assumed was a seal, uh, but it wasn't. It was our very expensive antifoul. Yes, carved <laughs> off. But it was, you know, the boat is fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So if you uh, if you had a biff in the hull below the waterline, could you put like a hydro quick patch cement under there? Uh, I guess I'll yeah. let you know if it happens. Yeah, just curious. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I say, I mean, as a boat builder, I find it kind of interesting. Yeah. Well, we carry quick drying cement, so in plastic bags. Yeah, 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 yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It works. Yeah, and again, we're talking to uh, Mick O'Flanagan from the uh, Gaff uh, uh, Catch Hannah, which is down at the dock in uh, Belfast right now. Uh, Mick, you you uh, tend to like to go north. Do you have uh, any experience down the Caribbean? How come you're not on a old clapped out Beneteau sailing around the Caribbean like you know? Everybody else. Well, it, I mean, we do go to the Caribbean, but, the, uh, you know, that's only when we're crossing, you know, from Europe to um, to this side. And then we'll come into the Caribbean and then leave and, and come north. So it's just, we're just following the trades, essentially. Um, but we have no, we don't like the heat. Uh, there are too many boats. The anchorages are very crowded. Apart from, you know, the cheap rum there's not really a lot going for it as far as we're concerned i was surprised the first time i got down to paradise that it didn't suit me and yeah. you'd think that uh south sea islands is is the goal but no the foreign fauna is kind of uh you know it's hot and man so i, I can't agree with that now um you like to go north and um there's a lot less people up there and um a lot less services and and uh, um so anyway you were uh, apparently up towards Greenland last summer. Um, yeah, last summer we went to the Button Islands, which are, are just um, a small group of islands north of um, Labrador. They're, they're kind of the entrance to the Hudson Strait. Um, we haven't been to Greenland since um, 2012. I think that was the last time we were there. That, that's when we went up to the Arctic Circle to... Um, Disco Bay, uh, came back towards Baffin and then back to, I can't remember where we went. We may have come, we went back to, um, we left from here and we went up to Greenland and then we went back to the Chesapeake in that summer. So, um, 
And then the following year, we sailed back to England. Any thoughts of uh, going through the Northwest Passage? No. 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 It, it doesn't interest me. It interests B, my wife. I mean, she'd, she'd love to do things like that. But um, I, don't, I don't have her, her nerve, really. I, I'm... <laughs> I'm and, much more cautious. And possibly as an English schoolboy growing up on the story of Sir John Franklin, you got the point of the story, which was he disappeared and died. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm, you know, we're all going to die sometime. So that aspect. But you don't have to throw no, yourself no. in the no. Arctic uh, unprepared, you yeah. know, and, and again, uh, look for trouble. So. I think there's just a lot of motoring. As, as I understand yeah. it, through the passage. Plus, you, you had to have somebody on watch all the time with just two people on board. That's uh, tiring, I guess we'll say. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of developed our own um, routine, so it, which wouldn't suit most people, but it, it suits us, and, and we're able to live with it. But, yeah, well, you well, have needs to be. Just, just out of curiosity, what is your routine? Um, it depends. It, you know, if we're on long stuff, like transatlantic, then we do... Um, two on two, so two hours on, and then one hour on, and then two hours on, and through the night. But if we're on short, what we call short stuff, uh, essentially coastal, we we do forty five minutes on, forty five minutes off. Oh, yeah. So how do you sleep in the forty five minutes? In the forty five yeah, minutes, and yeah. wake up and then be on. Yeah. yeah, you you fall asleep very. It takes. Takes a while. Used to, yes. Yeah, but once you're used to it, you're, you're kind of asleep very, very quickly and very deeply. Huh. So it works for us. The boat doesn't seem to have what I would consider the most essential piece of gear, which would be an Auto Helm uh, 2000 or something, but you have wind steering vane. It, does, it will steer itself, which is critical. Oh, yeah. 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 It's, um, we don't have um, a- any kind of tiller pilot or Which uses was, lots of said. electricity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and that's one of the reasons we... We we do motor, but if we're on passage, then we won't motor. We'll just if there's no wind, then we'll just stop and drift and wait for the wind to turn up. Because you have the to rush? stand. What's the rush? And also, you have to stand there and steer, and you know, it's pretty monotonous. It gets old really fast. It's very, yeah. Yeah, again, I consider Otto Helm is uh, he's the best pilot on the boat. He does most of the work. Uh, you know, we. Yeah, but you know, it's it's horses for courses. That's that's not you know we don't kind of do that so yeah for us it's uh, horses it for courses <laughs> i haven't heard that one yeah. all right i like that um, english yeah. yeah read an interesting book at the library last winter semi-interesting uh, i'm sorry i forget the title or the offer basically um she was the uh writer in residence on a cruise ship that goes through the northwest passage every summer they've mm. done it a couple of years now they went on a rock for several days uh you know among their uh travels they took a uh, poet in residence um Stan Rogers' son, Nathan, was the folk singer in residence, uh, you know, and they're doing cruises through the Northwest Passage now. you nowadays. say they went on a rock? Oh, they got, uh, yes, uh, the ship uh, Wellen truly stuck on a rock um, for several days. Hopefully it wasn't in the lounge. And again, there's no tugboat right next door to pull you off, yeah. and, and yeah. Uh, they were in some trouble there. But anyway, the point is that there are cruise ships going through the Northwest Passage nowadays. If if B wants to go, uh, she could book a, a luxury cabin, I suppose, with no. a oh, folk yeah. singer in re- folk singer in residence on yeah. uh, chef and you know. The pension's um, good. It's not that good. As a fellow that goes north, Mick, um, what do we think about the whole idea of global warming? Have we noticed uh, any climate changing? It, it, you know, that's very difficult for us to say because our we've only been doing this really for kind of 10 or 12 years and that's a very short time scale talking to local people the inuit people 
particularly in Labrador, that they certainly notice a change. And you, it, it doesn't. You know, I was looking at the ice figure um, charts last night. It certainly seems to be less ice, for instance, this year. Good for Mariners. Yeah, except bad for uh, lots of bad yeah, for the North Country. Yeah. So, but it, I, you know, I, I definitely think it's happening, but I don't. I couldn't give you data to to back up my feeling. But um, you know, we see we certainly see polar bears, and we certainly see them, you know, in um, you know further south and um, swimming quite far out at sea. Um, which you'd expect them to be further north by yeah. then. Yeah, I don't. I don't expect you to see any fat polar bears either. Um, it, oddly enough, it, we were up in uh, Labrador last year, and, and we there's a, a little anchorage right at the very top, which has been called called Stone Man for historic reasons, and um, there was a, a polar bear in there that we we think we'd seen four years ago, but he was very thin. I'm assuming he was a male. And um, then when we went up to the Button Islands, we saw two fighting over a seal, and one was young and, you know, a big, big polar bear, and the other one was slightly more timid. And but the loser, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're interesting creatures. Last month, I believe it was, we interviewed Captain Peter Wilcox, Greenpeace's senior captain, and one of the things uh, he spoke about was. They're, uh, they're nonviolent, they don't uh, uh, damage any property, and they don't carry weapons except they're mandated carrying weapons uh, in regards to safety against polar bears. Mm. And that's the only time they carry a weapon uh, is polar bear safety. No. Are you armed? No. No? No. Um, the, the, the rules on uh, carrying weapons in um, northern Labrador, which is you know belongs to the inuit are quite they're not complex essentially you can't you can have a a gun on board but you can't take it ashore and if you want to travel through inuit territory then you hire an inuit guide and i'm not you know despite being in the army i'm not a um you know a competent marksman yeah um you know my hands shake putting coffee into a cup so being able to you know, fire it to some charging polar bear. Is a I was imagine a caribou uh, hoisted in the rigging, drying out. Uh, you know, <laughs> waiting to go and be yeah salted uh, in the bilge or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they did it on the boat. Oh, uh, jeez, we are doing boat talk this morning, and uh, it is a calling show. I, I remember uh, uh, we're talking to uh, uh, Captain Mick O'Flanagan this morning of the uh, Gaff Catch Hannah Gaff Cement Catch Hannah uh, down the. Doc in Belfast, uh, give us a call if you're interested in joining the conversation. Yes, one eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Yeah, we haven't quite run out of stuff to talk about yet, though. Well, no. um, that never happened. Uh, you have spent some time in Greenland. Yeah, we've been to to Greenland twice, and and you know, there there is a cachet in going to Greenland, but um, for us, we'd probably say the. The most exceptional cruising is probably going up to Labrador, which is really on, in your, on your doorstep. Oh yes, and it's it's exceptional. We think because there are few people there. Once you get above Nain, there are no communities whatsoever. The wildlife is much much greater than it is in uh, Greenland, and you really are on your own. Th- there are no facilities whatsoever. Whereas in Greenland, there are communities 
a long way, way, way up into the Arctic Circle. And the, if you something happens, you can find somebody who can help or assist you. That's not true in, uh, in um, Labrador. That's what I want to talk about. In that uh, book where the cruise ship went through the Northwest Passage, they visited uh, Greenland, uh, uh, Labrador, a bunch of places, and they particularly focused on the natives hmm. uh, throughout the north there, and they have been treated different over the years and, and are under different government circumstances. Um, the Canadian uh, Inuit were somewhat challenged in, in a lot of ways. They thought that the uh, uh, Greenland Inuit had a pretty good thing going. They were well-governed, and they had uh, the ability to do um, uh, their natural hunting and actually sell. There was like, you could buy seal brain at the, uh, at the supermarket. And again, there were communities, and it's well-governed. And, and again, the place is... Uh, um, uh, Greenland is is a bit more organized than some people would think. Yeah, I think people um, have a, a false view of, of what the, the country is like. Um, and it, it is remote and it is hard. Um, you need to be hard people, tough people, to live up there, it, particularly north of, um, of uh, you know, the kind of most of the, the population. But I still think... Um, Labrador is a is a tough tough place. I mean, it's just uh, you know, for instance, in um, in Greenland, you might see twenty or thirty boats. In Labrador, you you know you might see three. For once, you get north of uh, Nain, you you're on your own. I mean, there's and it's you've still got another probably four or five hundred miles to go before you get to the very top. Here's an etiquette question. If we uh, only run into three boats, do we assume they want their privacy or do we flock to them like uh, magnets for, you know, company? Um, no, you, 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 you kind of, it's a bit like the Norwegian um, rule. You know, if you go into an anchorage and there's a boat there, um, you stay well away. You don't kind of buddy up to them. Uh, Even if, if there are two boats, you still don't do it because they could be travelling in companies. So there's a kind of unwritten rule that yeah. you stay clear of things. But that doesn't happen. I mean, uh, you know, it, well, once, I think, um, in Bowden Harbour, right up in the north, um, we were with, we in this case, we were travelling with another boat and um, a big French ex-tug came in. And um, so there were three of us in, in Bowden. They, they run great. up a, a cocktail flag or something that makes things okay to come on. Yeah. <laughs> and again, uh, potentially uh, some interesting people could be involved. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, there are. Yeah, it's not not your... Um, you would hope they wouldn't be there. You assume capability or they wouldn't be there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, we have a phone call, so let's, yeah. let's go to Ann from Belfast. Good morning, Ann. Hi there. Hi, Mick. It's Ann from Mimi Rose. How are you doing? <laughs> Hi, Ann. Hey, I had a friend calling uh, to ask me a question the other day about cruising in Iceland and um, if I knew anybody who had. And I'm wondering if you've been there, and I thought the radio was a great way to, to talk about this too. Um, I was wondering if you've avoided Iceland because of either cost or anything like that, or if you have been there and what your thoughts are. Uh, and we haven't been there, although um, it's, it's on our route for, for Norway uh, this year. Um, we tried to get what there once before, but um, found the winds um, contrary. So um, people we do know who've been there 
really like the place, um, really um, like the people. It is very expensive, very expensive. Mm. But, um, you know, it's the, it's the um, uh, Norway and Iceland are both, um, you know, if you drink, are prohibitively uh, soul-destroying. Mm. But the people mm. are good. And uh, what are what are you looking forward to as you've done your research about where to go in Iceland? Where are you looking forward to going then if you are on a budget? Uh, no, you, uh, <laughs> you're talking to the wrong <laughs> person. We don't do research. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll kind of read up on it um, well, maybe I mean, when we get closer. But, uh, well, we're here now. Let's see what we're, where we landed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we, it's, it, as you, it's probably kind of seat of the pants stuff, really. Um, yeah. But I, I can tell you, if we get to Reykjavik, we'll go up over the north uh, coast rather than the, right, the south coast, as I, my understanding is that there are more uh, anchorages um, that way round. Although I think the either the winds are contrary or the currents contrary, but I can't remember which which one it is. Not very right. helpful. Right. And what kind of vessel is Mimi Rose, and does she want to go to Iceland? Yeah, I, w I, w I would love to. Um, I'll, I'll, we'll probably stay in the area for a while, though. But um, uh, she's a cutter-rigged uh, sloop, and uh, um, Bob Baker, Joel Design, and built by Bill Page and Swifty. Nice. Uh, we like to explain things on boat talk every once in a while a cutter rig is uh two jibs to uh the sails right up in the front is uh what mm -hmm. we call a cutter most of the time uh nice uh best yeah. of luck i i uh, support your uh like like they said uh, what was that old commercial when the couple win the lottery and the woman says the wife says oh we're headed south and the husband shakes his head and goes nope north i'm going north <laughs> Yeah, I'd rather go north. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for Thanks, sure. Thank you, guys. I love Botox. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. Again. Now, uh, Mick O'Flanagan uh, from uh, uh, Hannah, we just spoke about uh, headed to Norway, are we? Uh, yeah, yeah. From Belfast, nothing to it, just a bop over. Um, it, yeah, well, it did, it's not quite as glib as I kind of I was going to say, how sound, do we start? In which direction do we go? Uh, well, we'll just head, uh, you know, around Cape Sable and then into Lunenburg probably, uh, book in there and then leave from somewhere further east um, early June probably. We just need to wait for a bit more ice to clear through off uh, Labrador. And um, not a factor we think about uh, doing boat deliveries always to let the ice melt. Yes, but again, uh, huge yeah. factor. Yeah, yeah. Ice, Even though ice there's less fog. of it, that's yeah, yeah. Well, it breaks up, and um, so essentially, you you head kind of south of your route until you um, get to a point where the the ice is coming down, but you're kind of to the east of it. Yeah, and then you head turn and head uh, up towards Iceland or Norway, depending on which one we head for. All the way from uh, Nova Scotia to Norway, nothing in between? No. No? No. I mean, all there is uh, would be Greenland. And um, although, you know, from kind of Nuuk, which is a, the, the uh, capital of Greenland, upwards, there's uh, not much ice. Coming down the east coast of Greenland, um, there's a lot of ice, and uh, some of it's still, um, you know, seven, nine-tenths pack ice. And so 
um, you want to avoid it. And also Cape Farewell, I'm kind of getting off subject here, but Cape Farewell is a notorious um, place to avoid. I mean, you get huge winds and big seas and a lot of ice. Mm. And um, you, you want to stay maybe 150, 200 miles off. What we call one of the world's bad corners. Yeah, yeah, yes. for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Sort of an ominous counting, sounding name, even, doesn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cape Farewell. Yeah. Um, why, uh, given the fact that uh, alcohol and probably frozen pizza is prohibitively expensive in Norway, why do we want to go there? Because um, we've never been. Yeah. And uh, it's kind of on the way. Hot springs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be um, quite welcome for the old arthritis. On the way, where else? Well, it's it's kind of on the way to Norway. It's a it's a slight detail, yeah. but but um, um, it it doesn't add that much to the. To, I think the journey from um, you know Cape Breton to Norway is about three thousand miles. Ah. So it's not that much more to go via Iceland, but it does break the the trip up. A so bit. with no refrigerator, um, what do you bring for food? I mean. It's probably cold weather, so you don't have to worry about. You put stuff in the bilge; it probably stays mm. fairly cold. Mm. Um, what What do you do for a, for a trip of that length? Um, well, it, we we we're because we're vegetarian. We don't have problems with meat ah. and fish, yeah. and so we have a lot of rice and pasta and um, a huge amount of um, canned food, and we'll. We'll load up on fresh stuff before we go, and but cheese. it won't last long. Yeah, now we've got a pension. That now we can afford cheese. Yeah, <laughs> we have cheese. Yeah. yeah, the pension was a game changer for us. Fuel and water are kind of limited. Yeah, the, our our fuel tank is um, is sixty liters, which is about fifteen gallons. That's in, not in much your, at all. Uh, but we do we carry uh, maybe a hundred and fifty, a hundred and sixty liters. Uh, that's about 45 gallon maybe in in the Extra, US gas. yeah and uh water is a is kind of um maybe 300 liters in total and the engine may burn a gallon an hour plus yeah. possibly gallon and a half you yeah know? no it, Not it less. burns um yeah probably um three three quarters of a liter yeah so, so we don't, and much and we don't want to be using that all the time. No, no, no. no. not for no. making electricity, not for making hot water, not for making time. No, no we we have a solar panel, and um, now we have a, a generator which we can tow through the water. Well, you don't tow the generator, tow the prop, and it generates electricity through a generator. Mick, you're blowing my mind. You spent the whole winter on the dock in Belfast. So you don't even have a big screen TV downstairs on that boat, do you? No, we have a lot of books. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Must be wild, like. And any writing involved? You, uh, you know, all the adventures you have, you must have some good material in your head. You know, thought of um, making a book? No, no. I, I, I blog it, but I don't. Um, I, I really, you know, I, I couldn't be asked to write it again. You could put a bunch of blogs together and make it into a book. Yeah, but you know. People have read it. Why would they want to? <laughs> well, there's more than a couple of cruisers have used that trick to fund themselves, you know. Uh, and again, the trick is how can we turn this into money uh, instead of uh, just give money to it? Yeah. yeah. Um, talk about the blogging. Uh, people can certainly uh, find it and follow you a bit. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, it's. You, 
I, I can't remember the address, but if you Google Gaffer Hanna, then you'd, you'd find it. Yeah. I was told it was Gaffer Hanna, uh, G-A-F-F-E-R Hanna, H-A-N-N-A. H. Uh, yes, H. H. At blogspot.com is what I was told. What kind of stuff do you write about? Uh, you know, just the usual stuff. Day to day, existential. I mean, you know, no, it's just this, uh, what's happening with the boat, how we're getting on. You know, part of the journeys. Um, I, so in the downtime, which is, I don't tend to write much, and uh, when we're sailing, I can only post it when we get when you're in a place. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's pretty sporadic. Mick, I'm struck you're quite quite lucky uh, in your mate B as uh, took to the boat apparently uh, with an enthusiasm that was you know uh, right up there with yours maybe even uh, ahead of your first step or so. Yeah. yeah. Um, what a wonderful thing. Um, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I lost it. So you're you're blogging then um, when. Uh, is it do you get feedback from other people blogging or other questions or any sort of a comment in, in your blogs? Um, I do get some uh, comments, not a huge number, but um, it, it is for at the moment. There's a a lot of people in Russia reading it. I don't know why. Huh. Uh, you know, there's no kind of rhyme or reason to these things. It just happens. We were in Russia last month with. Uh, Peter Wilcox. Uh, he was in a Russian prison. He had upset the uh, uh, Putin fellow about uh, selling gas, which is critical to him, and stuff like that. I guess where I was going with that before is uh, B uh, took to the boat and to the sea uh, quite well. I call it church out there. Right. Yeah. How do you, uh, you know, you must get to see some uh, interesting uh uh, sights in the north latitude. Humbling, yes. Some lights. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, there's yeah. a light to the north that is just, you know. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it, we, B, if B was here, she would say that she's not a sailor. She has no interest whatsoever. For her, it's a way of life. It's how we travel. But And th there's lots of bits that, you know, she she's not very good at working out which way the wind's coming from and stuff. But all the four-deck work is done by her, The raising the anchor... The anchor weighs seventy-three pounds. The the sails, all that is no done windless. by us. We have a, a manual windlass, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. and it's um, it. I think it moves seven inches per stroke. Oh boy, so it's slow. That's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. if you got four hundred feet of chain, oh yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, again, we uh, enjoyed talking to Mick O'Flanagan from the uh, Gaff Catch uh, Cement Gaff Catch Hannah, which is down in Belfast. Still, has been there all winter. Headed to Norway soon if you want to catch them. And uh, interested in, in following that, Gaffer Hannah at blogspot.com, we're told. And Mick, thanks for coming over. Really, uh, I don't think we quite run out of stuff to talk to you about yet, but uh, no appreciate it. No, yeah. Stay tuned for Rich Hillsinger coming up next here on Community Radio, WERU-FM, Blue Hill, 89.9, 99.9 in Bangor and around the world at WERU.org. And thanks to Amy Brown down in the engine room. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from Gamble & Hunter Sailmakers, making sales for classic boats, cruising boats, and the main wind jam.